Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. I've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today with a young and exciting head baseball coach that uh, I think is going to have some great stuff to share with us. We're being joined by Tanner Rockwell, who is the head coach at Southern Arkansas University Tech at Junior College in Camden, Arkansas. I'll give you a background on Coach Rockwell before we jump into questions with him, and hopefully I can pronounce everything correctly as we're going through here. Um, he played, he's, he's from Heber Springs, Arkansas. He played his first two seasons in college at Arkansas Baptist College, a junior college in Little Rock, Arkansas. While he was there, he was a two-time all-region player and also won a gold glove in 2012. He finished at Arkansas Baptist as the all-time leader in hits, doubles, home runs, and runs scored on the offensive side, and also the all-time career leader in saves, which could be something we get into later, just being a two-way player and even recruiting those types of guys. He finished his playing career at the University of Arkansas Little Rock, where he was a two-time all-conference player. He graduated from Little Rock in 2015. Took his first head, took his first coaching job in college as a head coach, actually, in 2018. The spring of 2018 was his first year coaching in college. It, that, that was also his first year being a head coach. Uh, he was the head coach at Arkansas Baptist College just for one season. Then in the springs of 2019, 2019 through 2021, he spent three seasons as the hitting coach, recruiting coordinator at Washita Baptist, a Division II school in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. And then in April of 2021, he accepted the head coaching position at Southern Arkansas University Tech. They will, they're just starting a baseball team there. They will, they will field their first team in the spring of 2023. So he'll have uh, one full year, basically, to recruit guys on campus before he's got to start there. Uh, but really excited to have you on the podcast, Tanner, and uh, appreciate you joining me. Absolutely. I'm excited. So typically, I like to start with something from the bio that stands out, and there are definitely a couple of places that we could start. Um, and, and certainly some several things from the bio that I think we'll get into during the podcast. But the first one I'd like to talk about is just what it was like for you to take over a program that is starting uh, a new baseball program at Southern Arkansas University Tech, um, SAU Tech, I believe is what you guys, what you all go by, the Rockets. Um, you know, what I'd like to talk about just the decision making process for you to, to take over at this school, you know, why that was exciting for you, why you decided that, you know, starting a program from scratch was the right fit for you, but also why you decided to go back to a junior college uh, from a Division two. I know you played it at JUCO, um, and, you know, why you decided to go back to that level as opposed to staying at the four-year level. We'd like to talk about all that process for you. Right. So I, I think as far as, a, you know, a, going back into junior college, I think the biggest thing that was kind of a – you know, that's a, a huge attraction for me is kind of the the broad range of kind of guys you can get. I mean, there's so many, you know, different selling points, especially with how, you know, COVID's affected rosters and it's trickled down from, you know, the highest level down to down to the lowest level, uh, you know, of college baseball. And just it's pretty much made it to where, you know, just – Bottom line, the players got to be better to play at a better level. Uh, I think that it's kind of eliminated a lot of the, you know, the kids that are probably at a level that are a little bit higher than what they may be at that time. It's kind of weeding them out a little. Uh, so junior college, I feel like right now is, you know, one of those places where, I mean, you can really collect some talent if you work at it. But I think the biggest thing. You know, for me, that attracted me because in my three years at Washita, uh, by the time I left there, I mean that job as an assistant job as an assistant coach under you know Luke Howard, I was in a very comfortable spot. I mean, I love loved the campus there, loved all the people I worked with, and everything as far as you know facilities and you know that campus is so nice that you know attracting players there was not all that all that hard to do i think the you know the financial thing for me i think was one of the biggest attractions um you know coming from a private school that's you know one of the better academic institutions around this really this region um you know the, the academic side of it was very appealing to a lot of people but it, it eliminated from a financial standpoint a lot of kids that you know, just simply aren't going to be able to afford a, a private school education. And, 
And that's coming from a guy who definitely was wouldn't be able to be in a position to afford it when I was coming out of high school either. So um, I think that was kind of one of the main attractions. Uh, the other thing for me is the that what I've noticed both coaching and you know playing in junior college, you've got kids that baseball is. I mean, the first thing for the most part they think about when they wake up. It's one of those things that. You have a lot of time to really perfect your craft and work on what you need to work on without as many of the practice regulations and time restrictions and things like that that, you know, you're going to deal with at a, in an NCAA school, whether it's Division One, Two, II, or Three. you know, you're going to have your restrictions as far as time. And for me, the development side of the game is kind of the most appealing thing for me. Uh, just in general, because really, as far as getting into coaching, um, you know, I started off working at Prep Baseball Report when I got done playing, and that was kind of the first thought I really had of, you know, staying in the game as far as on the other side of the ball, not playing, um, because I absolutely love the scouting side of it, and I love the, you know, watching the kids progress and coming up through the years and uh, and I grew fascinated with it and really coaching kind of just found me as opposed to me, you know, seeking out a job and, <laughs> and going and getting one. All those things you mentioned about junior college are, are things that I, I grew to love. Um, I coached at a couple of different junior colleges and, um, and really loved both stops. And at this point, you know, I'm not uh, necessarily looking to get back into coaching right now, but you know, if my kids get older and I decide to go, that I want to get back into it, I think the junior college route is a way that I'd like to go for all those reasons that you said. And honestly, I've got a little boy at home who's he's four years old and, and he kind of got the baseball bug this summer. He, he loves watching it, wants to always, you know, always wants to go outside and hit and and uh, and likes to pitch as well to me. And uh, we have a lot of fun. Yep. If I if he ends up playing baseball or potentially any other sport in, in, in college, but particularly baseball, like I'm going to push him to go to junior college because I really, really believe in all of those benefits that you just mentioned. Uh, now, right. Tanner, let me ask you this. This is different in different parts of the country as far as how people view junior college. Uh, I think in areas of the country where the junior college ball is strong, high school players you know, tend to uh, be more open to the level uh, but but I think I might be I might be wrong on that as well because I, I had a, a junior college guy from Florida on here a while ago and even he said that he can't really can't get you know juniors even in sophomores in high school like you can at a four year school to committee even he has at one of the best you know Division one junior colleges in the country in Florida uh, you know with draft picks coming out of there and all that he has a hard time getting guys before their senior year and it's almost like. A lot of guys have to explore their other options first, and, and, the, and the guys have to fall through the cracks for whatever reason to wind up at a JUCO. So I know this is going to be your first uh, go-around at, at SAU Tech, but you've been in a junior college before, you know, for a year um, as a head coach at, at Arkansas Baptist. You played there. What is going to be your selling point, you know, to and, and how, are you, how do you plan on um, – just talking guys into it when they're because you know the guys you're going to be recruiting, I'm sure, are going to be looking at Division One programs, looking at strong Division Two programs, and I'm sure those are the athletes you're going to target as far as their athletic ability. Right. What are some selling points that you plan on using, and probably have already started to use when recruiting guys yep. um, to to a junior college program? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing right now uh, that's that's kind of works into to the favor is. You know, after after the COVID restricted year, and you know them canceling that season and giving everybody a a year back of eligibility, I don't think I don't think anybody, and this isn't just the NCAA, but I don't think anybody could really understand uh, kind of the ripple effect that that had on recruiting and rosters and everything like that. With especially when you're talking about some of these Power Five schools that are committing you know, 20 kids in a class, and really they have to when they're having to, you know, dodge the draft and, and all these things with – because you just never know if you're a – you know, if you're an SEC school and you have, you know, 15 signees, well, you know, seven or eight of those guys sign, then, you know, you're kind of in a, in a weird spot as far as recruiting because you're going to lose probably a handful of juniors to the draft, and then you've got seniors moving on. So you need – 
a fairly big incoming freshman class. Well, the when they cut down the roster or when they expanded the roster size uh, at some of these schools, I mean, you've got SEC schools with you know 65, 70 kids coming to campus, or you know even these mid-major Division ones, uh, you know, around this area that you know some are at 60, 65 guys, and they've got 22 to four-year-old you know, veterans that are five or six year players that are out there running around. If anyone who's been around college baseball can tell you, there's a very huge gap between not just the physical side, but the mental side of, you know, an 18 year old kid coming into campus and a, you know, a 23 year old kid is, you know, pretty much a a full grown man at that point that's been playing for five years. The odds of you getting out there and actually getting, your feet wet in the games are just not good. And it, it has nothing to do with, you know, how good of a player you are. It's strictly off of, you know, the circumstance that, that's going on right now. So I think the biggest selling point for some of these guys, and and we just, you know, I've been out recruiting pretty much all summer um, and just started, we actually had one of our first visits yesterday um, and have, you know, another dozen lined up for the rest of the month and, and all these kids and especially the kids that you're trying to get on early, um, you know, all these kids and I, and I've told them and I fully believe it that in a normal year are, a you know, a division one player that should probably already be signed and shouldn't even be available, but it has nothing to do with their talent. It has to do with, you know, now the depth of these rosters is so deep that, you know, these mid-majors and, and Power 5 Division 1s can't take that borderline project-type, you know, kid out of high school because there's, I mean, they're two or three years away from even realistically being able to get on the field. So if you're going to want to really develop, in, in my honest opinion, like, you need to be out there in the fire and, and being in some games because I don't care – you know, how nice of a school it is and, and program it is, you know, getting up there and rocking on the bench for two or three years and then expecting to go out and only have, in, you know, one or two springs to really go out there and play. Um, I just think you're cutting yourself a little short. I think it's the big thing. And I think before, you know, these last two years, but I think this high school class has been probably affected the most by it just because it's, kind of starting to settle in a little bit and people know exactly the circumstances they're in and these high school kids just aren't getting offered the money that you know that they are expecting to get because there's just none left because it's not like that they're expanding the rosters and then giving these guys another you know three or four scholarships it's the same amount of scholarship money with another 15 kids or 20 kids on roster so there's just not a whole lot of money going around. So kids are going to be paying a lot of, a lot of money to go to these schools. And that's just, that's just the bottom line. And if you've got a chance to get in somewhere and, you know, if you're a pitcher and, you know, throw 60, 70 innings in two years or even more than that, um, and develop and pay bottom dollar for, you know, to have to go to school. And I, I think it's just an easier route for a lot of these guys in these last two years especially than it has been in the past. But Arkansas really has just started to open up the the junior college route that it's really desperately needed for the last handful of years because when I was out playing, it was, you know, Arkansas Baptist was essentially the only junior college that was even available. And you're playing in a conference, you know, with the the Division I Oklahoma JUCOs where – if you're not going to OU or Oral Roberts or OSU, I mean, everybody's going JUCO. So, and every one of those programs are strong when you're talking about, you know, Eastern Oklahoma and, and Connor State and Seminole State and some of these places that are powerhouses essentially every year. And those kids are going to school for close to nothing. They're able to get those, you know, just missed it power five type players out of high school so opening up around the around the state i think is going to be good for everybody and i think every 
coach around the area, whether it's the Division One guys I've talked to or two or even the NAIA and Division Three guys, everybody's going to benefit for it because you're going to get a little bit more, you know, finished product coming out uh, with a little bit more experience and, you know, you kind of know what, what level of player you're getting a little bit more. I talk a lot on this podcast with coaches that have junior college experience or that are at junior colleges about this level. And I hope people don't think I'm beating it to death, but I just, I, like, I really think it's important for anybody involved with baseball, whether it's a, a coach of a, of a youth team all the way through high school coaches and especially high school and summer coaches who, who have their hands directly on guys that are, you know, kids that are looking into making decisions, you know, high school players. Uh, I think it's so important for them to be versed in what junior college baseball is really all about and how beneficial it can be when you go to the right program. You know, I think that's a lot of the difficulty sometimes is finding a program that you really believe in. Like here in Pennsylvania, there, there are only, uh, one that I can think of one scholarship division uh, one scholarship junior college baseball program in the state. There are some other mm-hmm. division three programs that, that, that do okay. Um, you know, no real powerhouses here. So a lot of players in this area as a scout, uh, I'm an associate scout and I'll see uncommitted guys and I'll try to talk to the, to the kids and their parents about, you know, about what they're thinking and what levels they're, they're looking at. And I always talk about junior college and I'll be honest with you, Tanner, it's rare for me to talk to any kid in Pennsylvania who is open to junior college. I'll even, you know, give them my 10 minute spiel about like, this is, these are the benefits of junior college and why you should go. And even after that conversation and saying that I coach at those levels and tell them, telling them about the talented players, like how talented my guys were and where they went after junior college, the, the great levels they went to compared to the, to the options they had before junior college. They're still not, you know, it's just so new to them and, and not something they've ever considered before that it's just, it's, it's like, you know, it's in one ear and out the other. And, uh, and it's a shame because it's such a great level. And like you said, what's happening right now with rosters at every level is ridiculous. Not only the, the, the numbers, but, um, I really thought that a lot of things would be straightened out by this year, by the 2021, 2022 school year, just because I thought schools would say, okay, we have all these guys coming back. So, so we're going to recruit a smaller class to keep us like a normal roster size, but that really hasn't happened. I, and I've seen guys here that that in a normal year would be no doubt Division One guys who are going Division Two, and and guys that are, that are would be no doubt Division Two guys going Division Three. Not to knock those levels, but like they're not even getting opportunities from what I the level I thought they would go to because those those higher every level basically is the rosters are so full. You know, like you said, they yep. have basically five and six classes to to create a roster from, rather than rather than four. You know, four years worth of guys, and it's just it's it's insane what's going on. And now more than ever, junior college looks like a great option. Um, if yep. if, I, if you don't mind me asking, what uh, what sort of geographic region do you expect to pull from? Uh, and, and is and is wh- where where you will recruit? Is that typical with junior college? Just trying to give people a better look at what junior college looks like. You know how how far of a reach will you have as far as where you bring guys in from geographically? Right. So as as far as guys that are you know I, the last three years at Washita, our you know our region was pretty limited with kind of places we could pick out of just with you know the way the financial you know, the burden was with, with the way it costs to go to school there and things. So you were mostly having to pick big cities and, you know, go in there and, you know, try to find the, the kids who are slipping under the cracks and that can afford to go to school and that are getting pretty good academic money. Um, I think the, the biggest thing, especially that I've learned, you know, now uh, just this summer is, you know, the, the, the as far as the – region that you can recruit from it's it's really up to the kid as far as they're willing to go go away for school because the financial you know burden really isn't there i mean we're just for example i mean they the place where i came from the you know the room and board alone was more than it's more than two thousand dollars more than our full tuition uh, at the school i'm at now so the kid that you're able to get is just night and day different from a, 
you know, just a circumstance standpoint uh, than it has been the last few years. So you can – your money, your scholarship money goes a lot farther. Uh, kids are essentially, for the most part, if, if they're taking care of their stuff in the classroom, um, are really only paying to, to live and eat for the most part. I mean, there's not a whole lot of um, – excess fees or anything like that i think the the big thing that or the big place that that we had a lot of success at wash hall was was down in the dallas area there's just so many kids and it's such an easy drive for you know where we're at in south arkansas that uh, that are also the kids are very aware of the junior college you know scene just because there's so many good ones in texas whether it's you know region 14 or 5 and that those two Division One um, conferences are as good as it gets. I mean, most of those kids are, you know, I, I've got some friends that coach in, in some of those leagues, and, you know, they're churning out, you know, 12 to 15 Division One players and, you know, two or three draft picks about every year. Um, I think the biggest thing, I think, for people to – to fully grasp it is you've got to go out and actually watch some games. I think that's the biggest, I think, disconnect with, you know, level of baseball and, you know, recruiting expectations and and everything because, you know, you'll talk to a kid and and just, I mean, just spitballing here, but, you know, you'll talk to a kid who's, you know, a a good monster guy who, you know, has a chance to develop into, you know, good arm for you that you know he may be 84 85 86 uh, in high school and and everybody around him and you know is telling him that he's a surefire division one you know pitcher and arm that's just going to go in there and get all these offers when in reality you know you go out there and watch a junior college game and it's i mean you're you're talking some some pretty high level of you know from just the time playing, you know, this was me, guess, in the two years that, that I played there, there was over a dozen pitchers drafted out of the league. And I, and I joked about it, but I mean, I was, I was serious about it when I got to Arkansas Little Rock and the Sun Belt's a really good baseball conference. As far as the stuff, just from a you know velocity and stuff standpoint, the, the league I just came from was was better from a stuff wise perspective than even when I got in the Sun Belt. The difference is the pitchability and you know guys being able to throw a few different pitches for strikes and you know use both sides of the plate and stuff like that. But I mean, I'll never forget my first our first conference weekend my freshman year we played Eastern Oklahoma. And all four of their guys in the start rotation were draft guys. And, I mean, their game three starter uh, was a guy from Oklahoma who uh, his name was Cover and made it to the big leagues and was a closer for the Nationals a year after he was drafted at Oklahoma State. I mean, it was a game three. He was a game three starter. It was 93-96 in the first inning. So it's like you can't tell. Yeah, I mean – if you've been around and watched a lot of baseball and have seen all these levels of baseball, which I've been fortunate enough to, you know, have been around essentially every level at this point, at least at the, you know, at the higher levels with, you know, playing division one baseball and playing division one Juco and coaching in division two, you know, there, it is what it is, but there, there is a, you know, a, a gap in, in talent from, each level and and it's real and the speed of the game is different from each place but i think from a you know from a junior college perspective i think what people got to realize is that at the highest level of you know the roster like when you're seeing a game one game two in a in a good a good junior college you know weekend series i mean you're seeing a very high level of baseball and i don't think people uh that are not people that are not familiar with, you know, the junior college scene. I think people in Arkansas will, will, will start getting a little more acclimated to it these next few years um, with a handful of new junior colleges popping up. Uh, you'll see that 
that the level player that you're getting is a is a high level player. So I I think passing the information along to the kids and the parents to let them know that you know that it you know it's not a you know big flashy name maybe at the time, but from a baseball development standpoint, you know it's the right route for a lot more people than than what they think. I think I think it's a big thing to pass along. I want to talk to you a little bit, Tanner, about what happens at junior college compared to four-year schools as far as development, well, well, focus on development as opposed to focus on winning. Um, and I just, I would just like to know your perspective. And and, and again, I, I just, I like to ask these questions because I think it's important for people to know all this. Uh, there's a lot of you know when I do talk to junior college coaches or guys that have been there before, and we and we talk about the level. There's a lot of talk about you know a guy can go to a junior a player can go to a junior college for two years and and develop and, and have a chance to be on the field more for two years. Um, and, and again, you're just starting the program there, but but your vision as the head coach at SAU Tech um, is there more focus on development? Is there more focus on on winning with a mindset of like, if we win, then we will be developing guys. Uh, I just, just right. kind of curious where development fits in to the junior college level where you have two goals. Of course you want to win a, a lot of games, but at the same time, you're also right. trying to help guys get to the four year level. So just curious where those right. two things intersect as far as development and winning come into play for right. you. Right. Yeah. And this is, this is actually, this has probably been the question I've been asked most since I've, you know, taking over this job and I've put a lot of thought into it. And we actually, you know, I was on a visit with a kid yesterday and we had this conversation, me and me and the kid's parent is, you know, there's a fine line and there's a right. I mean, there's no clear right, wrong way to do it. Some people do it a little different than others. Um, but you know, my vision when I took this thing over was obviously I didn't take this, this job to lose. Like this is, it's, it's my career kind of in my own hands. And, uh, the more I win, obviously the more appealing it'll be to, you know, move on in the profession and, and keep on coaching and, and keep moving up the ranks. But I, I think the biggest thing that, you know, when you're talking about a junior college program, there's a, you know, there's a level of, you know, just putting a team together strictly to win games and putting the program together. That's, you know, winning games while also developing kids and pass them along to the school that, you know, that they're a good fit at. Uh, you can't make, you know, magic with, you know, recruiting, especially with today's age and, and how I, I just think recruiting's a lot more, you know, fine, fine. There's a fine line with how much they can actually get as far as on you now. You know, there's, there's so many videos that, they get passed around and, you know, the velocities and everything. I mean, they, they, before they're going to give you a scholarship offer and want you to be a part of the team, they're going to do some background check on you and they can do it pretty in depth now. So if you're a guy who's maybe a marginal division one guy, you're probably not going to go play in the SEC off of a, you know, a, a recruiting mishap or anything. Like these guys, do a good job at, you know, what they're doing and make sure that they feel pretty good about signing these guys at a junior college. So I think the biggest thing for me is to have, have levels to the roster to where you're churning out kids to the level that they're deserving to be at. There's, I, I want the kids to go somewhere that they're actually wanted and not just be a part of the roster regardless of how it looks, you know, for me, uh, because as a coach and a program, it obviously looks great. The more kids you can send to division one or some kids that can get a professional opportunity and things like that. But the development side of it for me is right up there with winning for, from a, you know, a hierarchy standpoint of, you know, importance. I think that getting your kids better and seeing what they they were like when they got there and what they are when they leave is as good as anything because there's some there are some programs that are going to live and die with you know division one 
kickbacks, especially in 2022, 23, with where we're at with rosters, like we've talked about. There's a lot of kids leaving school. I mean, there's 2,500 kids in the portal in mid-July. I have no idea what it's at right now, but with a month of school, month month until first first day of school, you've got 2,500 kids still looking for a program. It's pretty, you know, you can get some some kickbacks from other schools that um, you just kind of get them on campus. You don't have to do a whole lot of background work and uh, just see how they pan out. But I think getting a good level of of high school kids in, watching them grow and develop, having them get better under your, you know, your tutelage, while also getting a few transfers in to plug and play right away. I think having a good mix is the best way to, you know, balance out the program a little bit with, you know, I, I want to have young kids in the program that, you know, are under you for two years and, and get a lot better and get themselves in a better circumstance than when they came out of high school. But you also got to have, you know, the, the high-level players to win. So whether that's getting a, a transfer from a, a Division One school or however you may do that, it's good to have, you know, both levels of it, I think, in the program. I think it's the, the best way I can, you know, advertise for it. I want to talk a little bit more about recruiting. Um, and and, and I'm, for the next couple questions here, we'll tie in your playing career a little bit. So you were a two-way player all through – your whole career, if I'm not mistaken, you you pitched at Little Rock as well, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were you were yes. a hitter. You you hit and pitched at, at all four years in college. When uh, when you're recruiting Coach Rockwell, uh, and, and you can go back to your obviously your time at Washita as well, Washita Baptist. Uh, do you do you like recruiting two way players? Uh, is there any advantage to being a two way player? Do you like guys that are that are POs and, and maybe focus just on, on pitching, or would you prefer guys try to do both as long as possible? Is there any any benefit to doing one or the other? And I'm going to ask that from the perspective of the high school player who maybe is being told at a, at, a, at an earlier age than, than maybe he would have been asked 20 years ago, you know, being asked pretty early in his career to, to give up hitting and just pitch. Do, do you like one right. or the other? Do you like guys that do both? Um, do you like recruiting guys into college that do both and maybe have a shot to do both and then you just kind of see how it pans out? Or, or is that uh, yep. is that a, kind of a rarity in today's game to pitch and hit in college? You know, it, it's turned into kind of a rarity to have a guy that it, it kind of sticks for. But for me, coming in, I like him to do both as long as I can. Uh, it makes it kind of a headache to, you know, assemble games – practice plans and stuff like that just to you know be conscious of their arm and their health uh i'll be honest i was not the most traditional two-way player that you've ever seen um i know most of my junior college career i threw very little balls from you know on the infield and pretty much just trained my arm as a pitcher but i also i always had a very high level feel for just throwing the baseball I would I could always throw it accurately from the infield so I never really had to practice at it a whole lot uh which it's great if you've got guys like that a lot of guys are not like that though they, I mean they need the reps and need to you know have all those different throws and practice and stuff like that for me that kind of came natural for me uh, so I could pretty much practice on arm strength and you know being able to keep my arm healthier in practice and just felt confident, you know, when a ball was hit at me, I didn't think a whole lot about it and could just throw it over to first, regardless if I was playing third or short. Um, it, that part kind of came naturally to me. But from a, you know, from a recruiting standpoint for me, I think the, the biggest, you know, attractive thing that I see in players is just being athletic. So more, more times than not, the kids that can pitch and hit and, you know, move around in the field and stuff like that, I'm interested because, you know, if you're a guy who can pitch and go out and play the field, that also probably means you can move around the field a little bit and play some multiple positions. Um, it makes it pretty easy to, you know, find a spot for them somewhere, whether it's they may be a shortstop in high school and may play, you know, left field or second or third in college, 
but it opens up a lot of doors for you because I think the hardest thing for me in recruiting, just from a personal standpoint, and is recruiting a guy who is, you know, strictly a first baseman or strictly a third baseman or, you know, can only play one position in the field because if it doesn't pan out, he's going to have a hard time getting out on the field. And that's just – and that goes back to, you know, my playing days. My first year at Little Rock, um, you know, we had a lot of talented guys, especially that played the infield. I came in as a shortstop. Um, our shortstop was a draft guy at Little Rock, so I kind of moved around and, you know, played third, second, played a little outfield, but was also pitching in the back end of the bullpen. So, you know, I – and this is the honest truth. I didn't know where I was playing at going into the weekend until I checked the lineup card. And whatever it was at, you know, I just went and grabbed whatever glove that I used for that position and went out and played it. So, uh, but talking with coaches and, you know, people that are watching me play and things like that, it was a huge, you know, kind of safety net for the way we could move our lineups in and around. Cause if another guy was, um, you know, another guy was hot in the lineup and needed to play second. I could go play other positions. And that's for me, is the most attractive thing, you know, with recruiting. Um, guys that can do multiple things. I, I do think there's something to say about if, a, if there's a good enough gap between your pitching and your hitting, um, it, it usually sorts itself out really quickly in college because when you get on the same playing field from a talent perspective that uh, is just higher than high school because high school you can just get away with some stuff that in college you just don't get away with for very long. And I was talking about this yesterday with, with a parent. If you're you know, 85, 86 in high school at, at some of these levels, you could throw – you know, fastballs on the outer half of the plate for strikes, and you may not give up a run all game <laughs> just based off your stuff and just being a higher level, you know, talent-wise. Where in college, that stuff doesn't exactly work. But if a guy has, you know, a high ceiling on the mound and he's a little bit limited, whether it be, you know, from a tools perspective at the plate, uh, usually, I mean, that, that decision usually gets made pretty quickly. Um, but for me, I like what I like watching them do both and seeing, you know, how it pans out and, and how they, uh, how it kind of projects over the first little while, usually for sure by the end of the fall, it usually sorts itself out. Uh, but some guys are, you know, from a mental standpoint, I think the, I think the biggest thing with, especially for me and being a two way guy that helped me out a lot is I was, I could very easily turn off you know, my pitcher brain and my hitter brain pretty much yeah, pretty much instantly. So when I was done pitching or when I was done hitting and needed to concentrate on something else, you know, I could shut it off. And that's one thing I do see a lot of high school kids and, you know, even second or third year kids struggle with a little bit. You know, they can't put an at-bat behind them or they can't put an inning, you know, on the mound behind them. So it makes it awful tough to, you know, balance both of them. But, but to answer your question, I, li- I like the guys who can do multiple things and, you know, get them out in game situations and let them play a little bit. And, and it usually sorts itself out pretty quickly. So, um, so I, I, like, I like guys who can do both. And you're right about one thing, uh, especially that it just being able to mentally do it and also put in the time, you know, just like a switch hitter really needs to put in the time of two hitters. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. equal time from both sides of the plate uh, mm-hmm. to be able to be successful and continue to switch it. Two-way guys mm-hmm. in college need to have that work ethic as well to be able to put in the time right. that it takes all the time of a position player to be right where they need to be offensively and defensively, and then all the time that the pitchers put in um, with you know with everything mm-hmm. they're doing throughout the week and, and the the extra focus on arm care. And once you get to college mm-hmm. and you're playing every day, the importance of going to see the trainer. Not because you're hurt, but just right. to just stay to stay healthy. You know, really prehab type stuff. Right. If you're um, mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of stay ahead of things, it, it, I think it, there's a a certain work ethic there that, as much as the the talent will mm-hmm. sometimes uh, 
really quickly dictate, okay, I'm going to be just a position player or just a, just a pitcher. Sometimes that, that work ethic and the willingness or the unwillingness to put in the time, you know, also sort of ser- helps to sort itself out as, as far as what guys are going to do at the next level. Um, right. Just to continue to talk about uh, kind of your your what you did as a player and, and how that's transitioned into being a coach, you were a, a great hitter, you know, really good offensive numbers for all four years that you were in school. And you're still, you know, you're a young guy. You're, uh, and, and you were a very young head coach. You're still a young head coach with your getting your second head coaching job. I'm curious for yep. you, uh, Tanner. You're, you spent your last three years as a hitting coach, and I'm sure that you at least have a hand in the hitters, if not, you know, coaching hitters at SAU Tech. I'm curious as to how being a young guy, um, when you when you talk about and think about and put a plan together to develop hitters. How much that? How much you use tech uh, in, in any of your as a hitting coach in, in in developing guys? How important it is to be versed and to use that stuff every day, as opposed to just um, you know the way that you you've always hit. I know that when you were in school, there, there probably wasn't uh, most of the stuff that's around now really wasn't around. So I'm curious as to how much you've adopted. Uh, tech into being a hitting coach and developing guys, or if that's not much of what you what you've done and what you'll continue to do as a hitting coach. Just just kind of curious if you don't mind talking about the tech side of things. Yeah, uh, yeah, like like you said, I mean, this I'm not too far removed. I mean, my last year at Little Rock was 2015, and really until we got to so my first first year at Baptist, which was 2018. That's kind of when the hit track started coming around and some, some different tech things started to come around. And, you know, for me, I, I love the instant feedback side of it. I, I think it definitely helps from a – especially from a mental side of, of some of these young hitters because I think – and this is what I've told everybody. The biggest difference between uh, probably coaching in 2015 when I was playing and coaching now is – all these kids have whatever information that they want, like any of their answers that they need or any of their questions they need answered, they pretty much have at the top at the touch of a button. So anything they want to learn or, or figure out an answer about or any statistics or numbers or whatever they want, I mean, it's all right there in their phone and they can find it out pretty much instantly. So if you want to be a hitting coach, if you want to, teach some of these guys obviously having a good playing background and and being able to show them how to do things and proving it works definitely helps but you also have to be able to talk with these guys and really know what you're talking about because they could fact check you in about 30 seconds and prove you wrong if they really wanted to you know so if they start hearing a bunch of stuff that they don't think is true and start, you know, looking it up and, and finding out that, you know, you're feeding them something that's not the truth, you know, they're going to lose trust in you. And that's, uh, that's just one thing that I think it's, it's good on both sides because these kids can, the kids that are really passionate about hitting and developing and things like that, that they can figure out stuff so fast and be able to, you know, research stuff. But it's also made the coaching side of it dip more difficult because, you know, anything that comes out of your mouth needs to be the truth and because these kids can figure it out if they really want to. So um, from a tech side of it, I think having instant feedback and, and being able to prove some things work definitely helps. Uh, statistics for me, I think you, a lot of people – you know, put a lot of stock into it. Some people discredit it and say stats don't really matter, and they simplify it to just hit the ball hard and stuff like that. Um, it's all great on paper, but in today's date of, you know, 2021 and 22, you know, these kids want information. They, they just do. They want to see their swing on video. They want to see how things are working. They want to see, a you know, a side-by-side comparison of them and, you know, Mike Trout or somebody like that. Uh, it's just something that their generation craves. I mean, they need to see it. They need to see that it's working or, or have data to back it up. 
So I'm all for it. I think there's, but the biggest thing that, that I try and preach to these guys is, you know, when the game starts and when the ball gets dropped and, you know, the first pitch starts coming in, the data and everything's got to go out the window and you just got to go out there and compete because I could care less, you know, how hard you're hitting the ball, what angle you're hitting the ball, what type, what type of swing plane degree wise is coming into the, <laughs> coming into the pitch. You know, when the, when the game starts getting, getting going and you've got to figure out how to beat the guy on the mound, all that stuff's got to go out the door. So I think that's learning to, you know, turn it on and off. Like you said, the mental side of it's so important that these guys got to be able to decipher between, you know, the development side of practice, which, which I'm all for needing some, needing some numbers, needing something to back up to what they're doing is working, whether it's exit velocity or, you know, things like that, that, you know, are proven that you're getting stronger and hit the ball harder. Uh, that just gives that little jolt to these guys. Um, and when you get in the game, throwing it out the window and, and seeing what actually works. So I think in today's age, you've got to be, you've got to be versatile with it, especially on the pitching side as well. Um, I loved, I loved using, you know, rap Soto and stuff like that with our pitchers, uh, when we got to be around them at Washita. And I think those kids thrived off of seeing the numbers and, you know, seeing the break and spin and, and velocity on their pitches at all times and being able to, you know, look back at it and see how everything was working. Uh, but from the hitter side of it, I think there's there's a fine line between using it a little too much and getting away with just, the, you know, getting in there and competing and figuring out a way to, uh, to beat the guy on the mound because there are a lot of good baseball players that are not going to blow your doors off with, you know, exit velocity and things like that um, that aren't going to show up on a on any type of technology that kids can really play. So there's still a there's still an old school way of you know evaluating these guys and recruiting them as well. So I'm going to ask sort of a follow up question to that. Then, when you're recruiting hitters today you know, guys who have all this data available to them. Is there anything that you can point to that you think has um, sort of across the board, maybe is, is, I don't want to call it a flaw, but maybe something that you, you think a lot of hitters at, at the, at the high school level are doing that you wish they were better at or something they're not doing. Like, is there, is there one thing across the board that you feel like is maybe uh, that you wish most hitters were doing better, whether that's, you know, something to do with their, uh, you know, maybe a base running or maybe just understanding how, you know, what it takes to, to win a game. You know, when the, like you said, when the, when the first pitch is thrown, sort of all that data goes out the window and you just have to compete and, and produce, you know, is there one thing that you think today that a lot of hitters, um, aren't very good at that you wish they were better at when they get on campus with you? If there's, if there maybe is one or two things that you could point to. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest thing for me I, that has stuck out so much going out and watching games, and there's there's two things. I think there's one thing offensively and one thing defensively that has stuck out hugely to me since my time in coaching. I think understanding the value of striking out, I think, is, is the big thing for for me at the plate because um, – I don't, I don't think there's anything that, that turns me off about a hitter more than, you know, a guy coming in not aggressive to hit early, you know, taking that first pitch strike down the middle just to, you know, feel out is that bad a little bit, and then overswing with two strikes, so, which to me is the complete opposite of, you know, what I want to see and what my approach would want to be is, you know, a blanket approach for, for hitters. I would rather than be – very aggressive getting into the box, getting their best swing off twice, and if it doesn't work out, doing whatever it takes to put the ball in play. Because the biggest thing that uh, that people, I think, forget about this game especially is, you know, putting the ball in play and putting action on the defense has always proved to work. You know, there's very few teams out there that you go out there and, 
watch them, you know, take infield and, and go through a whole game where they're not booting or throwing a ball away, you know, once or twice a game. It's just hard to find, especially at the college level. Uh, we always we always talked about the team that put the most pressure on the defense is always at the advantage. Obviously, you still got to pitch and play defense yourself, but you know, being able to really put the ball in play is in a perfect example of that. And two teams that I absolutely, I mean, could watch on loop every day of my life offensively this year. Perfect example was Mississippi State and Arizona. Those two teams offensively were as good as, you know, I've probably seen in the last handful of years just from a, you know, putting pressure on the defense putting the ball in play hard without a whole lot of, you know, empty outs, just, you know, just hitting the ball straight up in the air or striking out a lot. Like Mississippi State might have been the best I've ever seen at just putting pressure on somebody, like making it a personal goal to not strike out and taking it personal. I think they may have done a better job of it this year than any. Uh, Just from an offensive standpoint, it helped that they had as good a pitching as they did that, I mean, that obviously made them very tough to beat, especially in a ballpark like like they play in in the College World Series. But it, it shows up big time in college baseball, especially in the, you know, the middle levels of it. There's going to be some errors out in the field. There's going to be some misplays uh, pretty much every game. So I think putting them all in play with two strikes is a skill that I think hitters – across the board, I think, need to value a little bit more in today's game. Uh, and on the defensive side of it, really being really being able to throw the ball accurately. And this is more from the infield. Outfield is a whole different, whole different ball game. But one thing that I see so much in high school games, even from high school shortstops, is being able to throw the ball accurately and get rid of it quick and being able to throw from some different arm angles because these kids, when they want to play shortstop third base at the college level, you need to be, you need to have a pretty good feel for your arm and being able to throw the ball in the bag. And like I was talking about earlier, I'll be honest, it it was one of those things that kind of came natural to me that I could always just kind of, wherever I feel the ball, just throw it from there and be able to throw it on the money. But Kids today, I think, need to value that a lot more than the arm strength of it and being able to, you know, crow hop and throw an 88 across the diamond in a showcase and stuff like that. But being able to throw it accurately with good backspin and carry on it, I think is something that, for me, it's super attractive when I see it out and seeing high school infielders be able to do it, um, that I think kids can value a lot more on the defensive side of the ball. Man, I could not agree with you more on both of those things. And just to touch on both, the two-strike approach thing and putting balls in play, it was amazing to watch the College World Series and, and even the, the playoffs, you know, the, the regionals, the super regionals, and even those levels of teams, if you just put the ball in play, just things happen. It's not only just yep. errors, but, you know, yep. there are times when, you know, a double play, a double play ball, uh, you know, just by by running hard is, doesn't end up being a double play, or just putting the ball in play can right. move a guy over that turns into a run later. Or if nothing else, just maybe makes the pitcher throw some extra pitches and gets a starter out of the game early or whatever. There's just there's so many, so many things that are that are beneficial to just putting the ball in play. And at most level, like you said, the most middle levels of college baseball, like you know, really good junior college programs, NAIA programs, Division two programs. Just by putting the ball in play, you're going to create more errors. You're going to create more base runners, um, and yep. ju- just by putting it in play. And, and then what you said about the ability to throw the ball accurately as an infielder. I know that for me, as a junior college and Division One recruiting coordinator, I was more attracted to a, a, a defender who, through games and, and even, I mean, showcases to a point, but in showcases you don't normally get to do this a lot. Uh, you know, sometimes I guess when you, if you're taking your ground balls through your showcase round, you get your backhand, your forehand, your slow roller. I was more attracted to the guy who could make throws from basically, you know, the the 
the outer reaches of his defense, defensive positioning. So, so like the maximum, his maximum range. So you have a shortstop that ranges as far as he can to his right and his left and the slow roller and a guy that could make all of those throws accurately. I, I was more likely to want to recruit a guy with like borderline arm strength for that position who could throw yep. from different angles and, and, and where it seemed like every throw, no matter what was hitting the first baseman in the chest, then I was the guy that, that kind of crow hopped and was like 93 across the infield. Yeah, the right. big arm is great, but to your point, a, a guy that can make accurate throws and, and just somebody who the, the ball sticks in his glove, first of all, and then he's going right. to make the throw and make the accurate throw. Basically, the guy that gets to balls and gets outs that's the guy that's going to end up playing. And I'm sure you've experienced the same thing, but sometimes there's the guy with bigger tools and louder tools that just doesn't make the routine play consistently. I don't care how good his tools are on showcase day. If you can't make the routine outs, you're probably not going to play that much at the college level at any level, because there's a guy that is going to do that stuff with maybe the tools aren't quite as loud, but the guy that can consistently make outs and, and is going to be reliable on defense is probably the guy that's going to play the majority of the innings. Yeah, well, definitely as, as far as in my five, this being my fifth year, especially from a shortstop perspective, um, and I know people love the flashy play and love seeing it, but more times than not, when, like, when we're sitting in office figuring out exactly what we want our shortstop to look like, it always comes down to who's going to make – you know, the boring routine play the most of the time because just at, at a college level especially, unless you've got a really tooled up guy that's got some serious arm strength and, and can also get to the ball quickly, um, there's not a whole lot of the backhand deep in the hole plays that get made in college anyways. So the majority of the plays that you're getting are, you know, the boring three or four hops right at you to shortstop where you don't have to throw the ball 90 across the diamond. It's a, you know, a flick of the backspin, throw over to first and just hit the guy in the chest. And that's pretty much it. So, uh, so we always, uh, we always talked about it. We had a really good one my first year at Washita, and I had a really good one. Uh, my first year coaching at Baptist who's uh, playing a little professional ball in, down in Mexico right now. And they, uh, they just make the routine play every single time. And it, it just, it's a lot easier on on you as a coach, especially to just know that if it's hit on the ground, um, Adam, it's going to be an out pretty much. Coach, as we wrap things up here, I just wanted to see if there's anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to talk about, anything that we missed that we didn't cover that you, that you really feel passionate that you want to talk about before we wrap this up. Right. No, um, I think, I think the biggest thing I think right now, uh, that that's just it's kind of always weighing on me is it's from the recruiting side of you know of high school kids and them figuring out exactly what's the best fit for them and figuring out all the details of the school that they're going to visit and, and wanting to play for and I think he can cut out a lot on the like we talked about the transfer portals portal situation and and kids being unhappy and wanting to transfer. I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, doing the background check early on schools that you're interested in and wanting to go to because like what I talked about with the kid that was on campus yesterday and that I've talked with everybody with is, you know, the probably the biggest emotional high that any of these high school kids go through is, you know, the day they put that they're committed to wherever school they're going to on Twitter and, They've got all of their ex-teammates and ex-college coaches that have coached them in the summer and, you know, showcase coaches that are all, you know, super excited and congratulating them and texting them and everything like that. And then once you get to campus and nobody really cares anymore, you know, it's it's time to go to work and, and you've got to find a way on the field and, and get comfortable and, you know, impress your coaches while also going to school full-time. I think the biggest thing that, that I can hopefully express enough to these high school kids is, you know, find somewhere that you're actually really valued and wanted as opposed to, 
you know, I got a guy that's a good roster filler that's, you know, going to look the part, and but don't really have a, they don't really have high aspirations of you going out there and really contributing. I think figuring that out while also figuring out the situation with the roster size and how many kids are on campus, what kind of classes they're bringing in, the depth at your position, I think is another huge one that uh, kids aren't looking enough into. Like if a kid's, if a school's signing, you know, seven or eight shortstops, you know, they're, you met, you better be open to, you know, possibly moving around because only one of you can play over there. So um, I, th- I think that's a big thing that, that I really want to get out there and express to kids is, you know, do some, do some background work and figure out exactly what situation's going on at the school you're wanting to go to. Look at the roster online and figure out who's all signed to to that school and and figure out if it's really somewhere that you're valued as opposed to you know just another kid that's getting recruited to you know fill the roster up. So uh, that and going out and watching baseball. If you're a high school kid and you you want to self evaluate a little bit and figure out what kind of level that you're really deserving at, especially in 2021 to 23. Um, you need to go out and watch some games at, at each level. Go out and watch a mid-major Division One game. Go watch a Power Five SEC game. Go watch a Division Two, Three NAIA junior college. All those games, and and be honest with yourself and figure out if that's actually the the level that you think that that you fit in best at. Because the hardest thing in the world that I can imagine kids going through, and all the the recruiting decisions I made from schools that I went to was based on going to a school where you're valued and that you think that you're going to go in there and contribute. So it will, it will far outweigh the, uh, the name that you're putting on your, on your Twitter that you're committed to, or, uh, that you tell all your friends about. Cause ultimately if you're, you know, getting to watch from the sidelines instead of being out on the field that, uh, that care is going to kind of go out the window from, from people around you. So uh, that's that's the biggest thing I've got. That's some great truth and some hard-hitting truth to some people. Is there any way that you would suggest that we do that, if you can maybe wrap this up and, uh, you know, in, a, in a, a short answer, if there is one, is there any way for the, any uh, advice you would give a prospective student-athlete who's looking at schools to be able to make that good decision other than not making a really quick decision based on the name mm-hmm. it'll be across the front of your chest obviously you you know guys a lot of times get offered by a big school and it's like immediately they'll commit because they because like you said they get to tell their friends that they're going to that place and, and they get to put on on right. social media that they're committed to this place is there any advice you would give of how to find the right fit other than just right. taking the time to 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 look into things that are actually important to you and deciding whether or not you're getting that at the place that's at the, at whatever schools you're looking at. Right. I, well, I think the biggest thing going into, you know, recruiting and finding a place that fits, I think is first off coming up with a few, a few checkpoints of what you've got to be honest with yourself and figure out what you're looking for. I mean, if you're just looking for, you know, the name on the front and going to a big school and enjoying your time going to school. And that's the biggest the biggest draw that you have to a place, it, it's going to be hard to turn down one of those offers that looks really good on paper and, and and have all the resources in the world and everything like that. But I, I can't express enough that elements who wants to continue playing, playing professionally and stuff like that somewhere that you're expected to at least fight by early on in your years there, it's going to be really hard to develop to be that type of player while not being out in the fire and, and experiencing some games. I think that's I, the biggest thing I tell guys about junior colleges. I mean, by the time I got to Arkansas Little Rock, I had been in every situation that you could possibly imagine, whether it's you know on the mound or or, or at the play, trying to figure out how to beat somebody. It's really it's really tough to be able to find that and 
having something to go back to and reference when you've never been in that situation outside of, you know, inner squads or, or fall world series and stuff like that. So if you're wanting to develop as a player the most, because ultimately if you're wanting to play past college, you've got to get to a certain point and, and have a certain type of resume that, you know, a pro scout's going to be able to come and put their name on you and, and pass that along to whoever their supervisor is. Um, it's going to be real tough to do that in a very small sample size with your career. So being able to get out there as much as you can and compete while also developing at a good level, um, I, I think is always going to trump the the name on the front of the jersey and, and the name of the program and, and whatever they can offer you from a from a from a just a materialistic standpoint. Because uh, when it comes down to it. Um, it, it comes down to, you know, your development as a player and, and you being able to perform in a game-like setting. So um, getting out there and somewhere that you're going to play and that you're valued and, and that the guys are really wanting you, uh, I think will always, will always be at the top. This has been great. This is Tanner Rockwell, everybody, who's the head coach at Southern Arkansas University Tech, a junior college in Camden, Arkansas. Uh, if you want more information on the recruiting process and things that, as a prospective student-athlete, you can do to make sure you're making the right decision, you can visit figureitoutbaseball.com. We've got dozens of recruiting videos, both on the free and the premium portion of the website, which can hopefully help you to make better decisions. But some very, very, very good insight from Coach Rockwell here. Uh, Tanner, I sincerely appreciate you joining us on this podcast. I know that you've got a lot on your plate right now trying to put together a first-time team there at SAU Tech, but I really appreciate the time that you put into this podcast today and all that you've shared with us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me.